I mean, they say what you believe about yourself is projected outwards. Goodbye diets and hello sustainable health. I'm Elise, dietitian and nutritionist based in the Silicon Valley. I believe that we all deserve an effortless relationship with food without obsession. Today, I have with me Asian Glow Up. I have Jojo and Jackie. I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. And first, I'm going to have them share a little bit about themselves, who they are, and how did you guys end up doing what you do now? First, I'll start off with how Jackie and I met. So as Elise mentioned, we are a part of Asian Glow Up podcast. We have another co-host, April, who's not in this call right now. But we actually all met because of an internship program called MAPE or the Multicultural Advertising Internship Program. And it's funny because April and I actually did the internship program together in college or it was the summer after we graduated college, but we didn't immediately click right off the bat. I think it took us a little bit to warm up to each other. Not that we didn't like each other, but I feel like we just never had the chance to really connect with one another personally. Um, And we also interned with one of Jackie's really close high school friends, Chris, and he randomly was like, hey, I have a really good friend moving to New York, and I think you would vibe with her. So I believe that we just like got dinner one day and things really did click. He was right. And I think like the birth of the podcast was actually when we were sitting in a Van Lewin's ice cream shop somewhere in Manhattan. And we just talked for, I think like five hours, just about everything. And we were like jokingly saying, oh, we should start a podcast. And, you know, COVID hit and we were like, we should start a podcast. And it actually happened. So that's kind of how AGU was born. So my full name is Josephine, but I go by Jojo ever since the third grade. I've gone by that. I am originally from Texas and I moved to New York I think five days after I graduated to pursue a career in advertising. Yeah, a little more about me. I'm Jackie, originally from Southern California, moved over to New York City, not knowing anyone. And I was ultimately blessed to meet April and Jojo, where we've just became really, really good friends. And we started the podcast where we realized we have these, you know, we really love promoting our culture, we're glowing up together. And we decided why not share our stories with the world as we grow up? Because if anything, it's our own personal journeys that we want to want to keep. So we started doing this and that's how we met you, Elise. Yes. Um, connecting with others in the space. I love it. I remember stumbling upon your podcast and I just saw the topics of like money and being, you know, Asian American and adulting. I know you guys are in New York and JoJo's in Texas right now, but you guys kind of straddle all of these different industries. I think you guys are part tech, part advertising, part art. Speaking of the glow up that Jackie was mentioning earlier, I love the name of the podcast that you guys have. What was your glow up like personally? Did it happen before New York, during New York? Where are you in your glow up stage? I honestly think I'm still in my glow up stage. And that's kind of amazing to hear because I feel like I have access to all of the resources, all of the support. I finally built, you know, the foundation that I needed. And now I'm finally being able to take advantage of it and have that glow up now. I think before... You know, I I was struggling a lot on what it meant to glow up, but you start to realize like it is an ongoing process. And I feel like right now I am in the thick of it. 
it's definitely hard asking about like a glow up while you're living in a city like New York, just because like Jackie said, it is very fast paced. Everyone seems to be doing something. Everyone seems to be successful. But I think I've realized, you know, like comparison is truly the thief of joy. And I think just thinking back to what 12 year old me would be thinking right now, she would probably be really proud and amazed and questioning how we got here. It's just a constant process, the act of glowing up and growing. And I don't really think there ever is an end truly. Like I do think I'll be 70 year old, 70 years old, still trying to reach that better version of myself. And I think that's actually an interesting part of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when I was 12. Oh my God. That was the peak of awkward. Like I did barely knew how to talk to a human being. My mom, I think on my 12th birthday, she bought me a book on like how to small talk or how to make friends. It was like a (laughs) how to guide. It was that bad. I feel like anyone who's in their younger years, maybe their teens or even early 20s, they're going through this kind of shift of like, oh, I don't know if I can fully embrace who I am and what I like. What if people judge me? Um, for someone who's straddling between these two identities or like what they should do or what they shouldn't, what would you tell that person? That is such a good question. I think I'm still trying to figure that out myself, but I think it's just having an openness to try things and not to be so in your lane about your opinions, about culture specifically, at least. Um, Because I think what really flipped the switch for me was when I went to college, because the University of Texas at Austin is very diverse and there's a lot of Asian Greek life. And if you told me in high school that I was going to be a part of an Asian sorority, I would have laughed in your face and probably freaked out a little but freshman year I ended up joining an Asian sorority I met two of my bestest friends in the sorority and it was actually a great experience and I actually did learn a lot about culture because the sorority's pillars actually included culture and so doing cultural events hosting cultural events was really embedded within the university And I feel like that's what really got me to open up a little bit. Mm -hmm. It was just allowing myself to try out that exposure and try different experiences. Mm -hmm. It's almost Mm -hmm. like exposure to more Asian people and it being cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I would also say just, you know, really checking in with yourself. I think as you're growing older, you start to conform to all these societal norms, but you're never asking yourself like, does this feel right with me? Does this feel like this is who I am? And I think one thing I would tell, you know, the younger listeners is that one, it's going to be a long, long process and to be open to change, but also every time you're exploring these new things, really ask yourself, like check in on your energy. Do I feel good after I do this event? Or do I feel better after hanging out with these certain people? How do I feel? And that's what it really means to say you're finding yourself. A personal sort of example, like to this day, I still feel uncomfortable speaking in Chinese to my boyfriend. Like he's Korean. He doesn't understand any (laughs) language other than English. But like saying my native language to anyone else outside of my parents feels so cringe to me. That's something it's still a work in progress. So transitioning a little bit, I know that some of us in here are working on a relationship with food and body as well. So what was it like seeing yourself change, your body change over the years growing up? And how do you feel about it now? I 
in middle school, I remember I kind of had, I kind of hit puberty early, but that doesn't mean I necessarily grew in height. I just like started my period before most of my friends. I started getting hips a little bit earlier than my friends. And that was a huge insecurity for me. Um, And I remember just thinking, I don't want hips. And I really, really hated that. But now a days, you know, with like the Kardashians, I mean, now it's kind of moving towards like that skinny is in again, which I think is kind of toxic in itself. But at a time being curvy and having hips was all the rage. And probably people would say that it still is. But me in sixth grade getting hips, I was super insecure about it. And um, I was really short. So my mom was making me drink some Korean herbal medicines that focus on body homeostasis and I still actually drink it to this day sometimes because it helps with like digestion and I do have a few um, like digestion issues, but it's just interesting because I remember gaining weight in college and my family just making so many comments about it, but it's like, you have problems if I'm too skinny and you also have too many problems if I have chubby cheeks. And now I went through some health issues this year for a few months And I'm actually quite underweight at the moment. And I really noticed this while I was on vacation for Christmas because I was in the hot tub and I didn't want to get out because I didn't want people to notice how much weight I lost, even Mm -hmm. though I didn't know anybody that was at the hot tub with me. I just remember being very self-conscious about it. And nowadays, I'm just trying to think about, okay, well, how can I gain the weight back in a nutritious way? And how can I be healthier about my decisions? So does that mean more balanced diet? Is it, you know, drinking protein shakes? I'm still trying to figure it out. It's so funny you mentioned this because I have a handful of patients who, and this is super rare, where they are undernourished. They have um, more so under eating tendencies than overeating tendencies but they also want to gain weight, but there's a part of their anxiety that's stopping them or there's something there. Um, And there's a similar amount of guilt for not eating enough at a meal or not eating consistent meals throughout the day, just like how someone would if they were overeating or overshooting. So I think all of us kind of suffer from similar sort of feelings when it comes to food, whether we're under or over. And I think in your case, I I don't know what is happening, but it sounds like you have the desire to to kind of get back to your natural weight. And I think what I would say is the more consistently you can take care of yourself and eat and follow your hunger patterns, the better. But in your case, do you notice yourself oscillating in the extremes of too hungry sometimes and sitting there? Yeah. And the main cause of my issues is that I experience really bad nausea and indigestion. So even when I am hungry, I can't eat that much. And that has been kind of a problem since high school. Like some of my closest friends would make jokes about it at lunch and they'd say, oh, she just will eat an almond and be full. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time I didn't realize how toxic that was, but now like almost 10 years later, I'm like, yeah, that was pretty messed up. And if you were to say that to me now, I would take it pretty offensively, especially with my pre-existing health issues. So it's been hard. Are there periods of your life where it feels better than others? Yes, but I can't really say, I can't really quantify what periods of my life. It seems that it is correlated to stress, mm-hmm. but 
the sad thing is that it can also be happy stress. And that's what I've learned just by listening to my body. So let's say I'm really excited about a vacation or something coming up that can trigger the indigestion and the nausea as well. So Mm. it's been, it's been kind of tough. Uh, Okay. Well, I feel like the gut, you probably know this already. Our gut is like literally a bundle of nerves. It has the second most amount of nerves second to our brain. So if you are nervous, like mentally, emotionally, your gut is going to be nervous. So Mm. (laughs) it just sucks that nerves can be both positive stress and negative stress. It just, you're seeing the effects of it either way. And with Jackie, I know that you've also kind of gone through your own journey with food and body. Would you be open Mm -hmm. to sharing any of that? with us? Yeah. I'm kind of excited to talk about this because I feel like I usually don't talk about it just because I've been very insecure and it's been a lot of like food. My relationship with food has been extremely toxic and it's as much as we know that talking helps. It's like, I do want to keep it in. Um, But it first started out when I growing up, I always felt like I was never skinny enough to what society terms was. So even though I was really skinny and I played a lot of sports growing up, it was never enough for myself. I was like, I can always look skinnier. I can always be skinnier. Um, And then when I ended up getting, I was, I would say I was skinny growing up to the point where I got injured in sports around high school, college. And obviously my, I wasn't working out as the same as I was, but I was still eating as I was. So then when my body started changing, that's when the more toxic turmoil started to come because I didn't have any support to go to. All I knew was eating more meant a bigger body. And how do I, how do I fix that? My go-to was probably calorie counting. Um, I went through a lot of purging, binging, that whole toxic cycle. And I, one, I didn't want to talk to anyone because it's like, one, I was embarrassed by it. But two, I also didn't know the resources and the help that I needed to get that fixed. So I would say COVID was probably one of the main peaks of that that cycle because, mm-hmm. you know, you're home alone or you're home and you can't go out. Uh, you're just, you have all this food and it's like, what can I use as an escape? And I think my way was you know, binge eating. And I remember you saying on the last podcast, how you started to realize it's maybe not even food that is the problem. It's the control aspect. Um, And that's what I learned a lot throughout therapy where I was using like food felt like I, that was the only control that I had. So I would restrict myself to the point where, you know, numbers would be very like I would see 10 to 15 calories or like 10 to 15 almonds as a hundred calories. And if I eat one more, more than that, that's like way over my budget. I remember being so strict to the schedule and it working for everyone else, but it never worked for me because it would just really consume my mind. Um, and then my release was the binge eating. So it was this constant cycle for, for many, many years. And, um, I think, also being with Jojo and April has helped me so, so much because I started to realize like them being open about their relationship with food and them even saying no to like, there's like one last bite at the table. My obviously Asian culture, I'm like, I got to finish the plate. I got to clean the plate. But then with April and Jojo, they would just be like, no, I'm full. I don't want to, I don't want to eat it. And to me, that was a surprise. Cause I'm like, even though I'm in 
so much pain. I should not be even taking that other bite because I'm not listening to my body. I would just stuff myself and put myself into more pain. Uh, but it just, you know, it was that control aspect that I realized and not until I came across intuitive eating and really going through therapy and being a little more open about this and talking about this, I started to realize like, this doesn't have to take over. Like I was so determined not to make sure it doesn't take over my mind because that's all I would think about from, from waking up to, to sleeping. And like that consumed me so, so much until I realized like, okay, I need to change this because I'm being really affected. Like I was, um, it was just honestly really, really harmful. And then once I started to realize like, I need to start loving myself, changing my self-talk, changing how I see food. Uh, and that has related to everything else in my life. That's when I started to fix that cycle. And that would honestly probably be only within the last year of this whole mindset change. But in like, like I said, when you talk about that glow up period, it's honestly, this glow up period is right now because I do have the resources and I do have the the drive and the the knowledge to be able to take this in. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, I relate to so much of your story because that was kind of my story. <laughs> like I was at mm -hmm. my worst with food during my second, third year of college undergrad where I was living alone and I had two cats. And like by the second day of like, I was like already talking to my cats. Anyways, it was a very sort of isolated <laughs> time in my life. And I think food was my friend and it was also something to soothe my own emptiness. But I think something that is interesting is people who kind of latch on to something like food, um, we actually, I feel like are very high functioning. There's a lot of almost like anxiety, like bundled. And so mm -hmm. when in the future, as you start to notice your mind freeing up more and more, it's like, oh, okay, well, what do I do with all this empty space? Like there's so much more I could be yeah. doing. Have you noticed that within yourself? Oh my gosh, so much. And being able to not think about food like I did maybe one year ago has allowed me to take on more hobbies, to take on, you know, things that I love to enjoy, take up space for other people as well. I, I was so consumed with myself and my own self thoughts. And it was so self-sabotaging that like, that's basically what it was. And now that I cleared up that space, I can, like you have mentioned too, just to neutralize food. I see food as in a good light and that it is nourishing me. Um, and I remind myself to, to really, do these like one-off, um, you know, like therapy tactics where you're like thanking your body, thanking your food and all of that. Um, as crazy as it sounds, like I'm like, what am I doing this? But the the repetition and all of that has has helped so much. And I have so much free space in my head now. It's been amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys are out here creating a podcast. You guys are living in the city. Like you guys have so much on your plate. So I'm sure this is only mm -hmm. positive. But I'm just wondering for the listener who is still kind of stuck, like how could you let go of the food rules or how could you just, you know, let this go more and more over time? I think it it definitely ties back to like how you view, view your body too. So how have you been more comfortable with letting go of some of these these food rules or food things mm -hmm. for me it's thinking about body neutrality over body positivity necessarily um, more so thinking about like the actions that come from my body and the actions that come from food so you know like how it is nourishing me it's giving me energy and then with my body thinking about not how I can't digest food well not how I'm kind of 
you know, underweight or weaker, but thinking about what my body can do, I'm still able to work. I'm still able to use my mind. I'm still able to meet up with friends. I'm still able to do a lot of things. So I think it's not dwelling on all the bad things and just really forcefully changing that mindset into a more positive aspect. I would also say, keep an eye out on your self-talk because especially with the body image, I think as we're younger, no one catches that. No one tells you like, Hey, your self-talk is negative. Hey, like you shouldn't be saying that to yourself. Um, And I think once you start catching, like you looking in the mirror and you're saying something bad, you have to really, I have to stop myself and be like, why am I saying this to myself? Is it harmful to me? And even if I don't believe it, this is what I started to realize that repetition is, is key because even if I look at the mirror and I'm like, I really like, I love who I am. If there's a point where I don't believe it, it doesn't even matter. I have to say it. I have to repeat it uh, until the point I do believe it. And that has helped so much. I would tell myself I'm the perfect weight that I need to be, even though I didn't believe it. But the more I started to repeat it, the more I started to believe it. And that was now the first thought that comes up instead of a more negative thought that comes out first. Mm -hmm. I mean, they say what you believe about yourself is projected outwards. And I feel like that's really apparent for, for everyone. Cause I can even tell like Jackie, you're a lot more confident. And maybe that's just because I I know you on a (laughs) deeper level now after being friends for a few years, but I do think like you've opened up a lot to me and April and just all our friends in general. And I can really see that shift. So Mm-hmm. yes um <laughs> and it's you have like jack jackie you have jojo and april like you have this like house of girls that are just so positive and supportive and it's like it's one of those things where for me living alone was like the worst thing like that was not it that really like was not mm-hmm. it but how do you guys like how do you guys make time for your friendship we've actually been long distance for most of this year um, and by we, I mean the podcast girlies um, and also just like mm-hmm. most of our New York friend group, I would say um, I've actually been in Texas for like over eight months now at this point out of the year. Um, and at first I didn't know when I was coming back and it, I was worried it would affect not only the podcast, but my friendships. And it definitely has affected some of my friendships with people in New York, but that's just opened my eyes to who's actually still trying to invest in me and care about our relationship. And so it's been nice just seeing like, you know, who still reaches out to me. It doesn't even have to be on a daily basis. Like I don't expect that from anyone. And I'm also not, I don't have the energy to give that to anyone either, but it's about, you know, the meaningful check-ins, the you know, how are you doing this month even? Um, so I think that that has been a good way just to to really realize like what friendships are worth maintaining and growing. And and yeah, the distance has not been too bad for me personally. On our last note here, you guys have so much growing and growth that you've both done in your lives and also your podcast. So where can people find you if they want to listen to more of your story and more of you guys? So we are the Asian Glow Up podcast. You can find us at Asian Glow Up pod on Instagram or at www.asianglowup.com. Feel free to DM us, message us in any way, email us. We're always down to collaborate or just brainstorm things. If anyone wants to talk about anything, we're we're here. 
Yeah. And if you guys want to feel a little less alone, if you're still in the awkward stages of your glow up, as we all are, they are a great listen. So it has been a pleasure. Thank you both so much for being on the pod. Thanks for having us. Thank Thank you. you. Of course. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Craving Food Freedom Podcast. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and please leave a review. I love hearing from you. Until next time, I will be right here rooting for you always on your ongoing journey towards food freedom.